Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Nina Pantic, coming to you from Midland, Michigan. I am joined in our makeshift studio by Katie McNally. Katie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And her coach, Kevin O'Neill. Kevin, welcome. How are you doing, Nina? Thanks. So it's a thrill to have you both in here. Katie is the defending champion in Midland. So I want to ask you, how is your your attitude as a defending champion at a pro tournament? Well, I've never been a defending champion at a pro tournament, so it's 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 a good thing. It's a good problem to have. Um, but I'm really excited to be here. You know, I just got back from Australia a couple of days ago, so my body is still kind of recovering from the long flight. But just gonna try to take it like any other tournament. Go out and prepare the same way that I do for anything else. And how long have you guys been working together? Um, I've been fortunate. I've known Katie since she's four. Um, I've been around her a lot, and I've been working with her and her mother. <laughs> uh, about the last four years, I guess, three and a half years or so. Okay, so a while. And did you go to Australia as well, Kevin? Yeah. Okay, so that experience, I mean, you made the quarterfinals of the meet. I mean, it's a Grand Slam quarterfinal, your first one with Coco Goff. Walk us through this. Yeah, um, we've only played about six or seven tournaments together, I think, um, but we obviously have a very special connection on the court and off the court. Um it was not easy. Uh, you know, we played some really good opponents in the first couple of rounds. Our round of 16 match was really thrilling. We were down a set and a break, and we kind of tr- turned it around from there. We had a lot of energy, and I think the crowd was just unbelievable. That was an amazing match, and if you, I think if you watch the highlights, um, you know, anyone would anyone would have wanted, wanted to have been at that match, but to be a part of it was something really special, and, you know, even losing in the quarterfinals, we still, we lost it to, to the champions, and they're obviously a really good team, and we, we had chances. Um, it just shows we just got to keep playing together, and I think um, the more the more times we play together, it'll help out a lot. You guys had some very memorable dances after, and chess bumps. <laughs> yeah. well, what's the inspiration for these? Well, after our round of 16 match, our inspiration there was for Kobe. You know, we, we were all devastated by, by that tragic accident, so we wanted to do something for him, you know, to – you know, remember him, and I thought that was really cool. Actually, Coco came up with that in the locker room before we went on. Um, she's like, if we win, so I was like, we got to win this match because I think we both wanted we wanted to do it. But last year, the only thing we did after we won our matches were just some side chest bump thing, kind of inspired by the Bryan brothers. And then at Australian Open, we kind of changed it up. We added a dance to it, like a, a TikTok dance. Um, Coco's really into TikTok, so... You know, it's fun, and that's what we that's what we do out there. We have a lot of fun, and I think that's what everyone kind of sees. Does it come into your mind when you're getting closer and closer to match point, maybe the last game or something? Are you thinking about this dance? Because I'd be nervous. I am. Honestly, I sh- probably should not be, but truly I am. Like, I'm really excited. Sometimes I want to, like, remind Coco because she can't remember, like, four times we've done it, and she totally forgets until the last moment. So sometimes I want to be like, Coco, like, match point, we're going to dance. Like, <laughs> But, 
but I don't. I just keep it to myself, and, you know, hopefully we can win the match because you never know anything can happen. I don't want to, like, think about it too much, and then, you know, we just, like, go downhill from there and lose. That would be pretty upsetting. It would be, but it's also really fun when it all does come together. Yeah, it's very true. As a coach, how do you balance her focus on singles and doubles? Because obviously you're you're playing in both events, and you're extremely good at both. You know, what's the... the well, uh, I mean, Katie, I'm always with all my players I've coached on tour, I want them to play doubles. Now, obviously, we might not play doubles every week, depending on how you're feeling as a player. You want to keep a player fresh and obviously excited to play their singles. But she's heard me say this even since she was younger, and her mom has said this as well, is tennis is tennis. I mean, it's not that drastic of, of, of a different different game and actually your doubles is going to help your singles and she really believes it and her game is an all-court game and she likes to come forward well all the things she we we practice if we did a practice it's going to be structured around everything she does in doubles and one of the great things about playing doubles is you get more match play you get to be under those um stressful or pressure situations we all like to say or the media oh this is a pressure situation how are they going to come through well, the more used to you get under those circumstances and to play your game, the better it's going to be for when you play singles. And, I mean, we've talked about this before, and Katie's loves to play doubles. She's a great leader on the court, and she's really good at helping her player out, her partner out, if they're not playing well, to keep them up and keep them positive. And, and Coco and them, they, they get along great. And they, Coco does that for Katie as well. But one of the things that can help her singles is – I tell this to Katie, and I think she she believes this too, is you teach yourself how to be a good doubles partner to yourself when you play singles. Because you watch in singles, a lot of the girls will put themselves down or they get frustrated themselves, and they would never do that to their partner. And so you get to be better. You start to realize I get to be better to myself, and I actually eventually start playing better. And it might not translate into a win. All we're looking to do is try to be free to play and perform at our highest level. And then you get good at competing, and hopefully it translates into a few more wins. But we never sit there and we're trying to win. Obviously, we're trying to win the game. That's what we do in games. But we play miniature golf and ping pong, and we want to win. I'm sure she wants to beat me just as bad as in tennis, but it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just a game, and we play. And the more you get yourself out there to do that, the better. Yeah, okay, you're not going to yell at Coco and be like, I can't believe you missed that, right? That's not going to happen. Yeah, I would never do that. <laughs> What's your experience been like being alongside? I mean, she's a friend of yours. She's someone that's catapulted at this point into, like, global phenomenon fame, yeah. and you are rising as well. So it's like, what's been your experience as her friend and doubles partner? Yeah, I mean, she's obviously been doing amazing and getting a lot of uh, media and super happy for her. I think she's handling it really well because, you know, it's not that easy to go from – you know, not doing maybe one or two interviews to literally having, like, every single news station wanting to interview you. Interview you. Um, but I'm really happy for her. Um, you know, it kind of just lets me kind of climb up on my own pace. You know, she can have all the, all the you know, attention and everything, and it lets me kind of slither up behind her. So I'm super happy for her. I think she's doing a really good job, and, um, yeah. It's a mature take. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. And, and you've mentioned TikTok a little bit. So Coco loves TikTok. And I, I've, I've asked you this before, but is it, how do you even think of this? How do you think of a TikTok dance? I'm so uneducated. I'm sure Kevin is too. Um, no, I don't, I don't even have it. So. so the app is, there's pretty much just background music. And there's actually people that have just become famous just for creating dances to this to these songs. Um, 
there's a girl out in California and I think she was like the first person. Her name's like Charlie. I can't think of her last name. Yep. You know, everyone copies her now. She went from like no followers to like 20 million followers in very short amount of time. And she's still rising. I mean, everyone's watching her videos and everyone's kind of like copying those dances. So you can just take that, that background sound and then replicate the dance. And that's pretty much what you do. But how do you, like, do you think of the choreographed moves? Are you like a dancer? Someone else does it usually. And then you kind of like copy that. I don't, yeah. Coco doesn't make up the moves and neither do I. There's an, there's an original dance that someone else makes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense. Cause I, I mean, I'm still, I'm still impressed, but it makes a bit more sense. I know Charlie, I found it about her from uh, a family here in Midland. Okay. A teenager told me about her. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. I've slowly started the introduction to TikTok. I'm, I'm shocked, but it's fun. Like it's something that it you and, and your double Spartan or you and your own or you and your family can do yeah. to kind of let loose and have personality. And if you get famous or not from it, I don't think it really matters, but it, I think it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I think some players are always, I think they're sometimes too focused on the tennis part. And I think me and Coco have a good time and we like to separate that, you know, like we still are, we still are young. We're still kids. We like to have fun and not always think about tennis 24 seven. So I think that's a good way to get away. And, you know, we were like making TikToks in the locker room in Australia. Like we were just having fun. We did not care what other people were thinking. We were just doing our thing. And um, yeah. It's great to have a friend as well that you can have these experiences with. In, in the locker room in the Australian Open, do you ever get, um, I don't know, starstruck by someone like Serena or like thrown off by players walking past? Anyone you idolize hanging out in there with you? Honestly, I did not see Serena in there once. I don't know if she has like her own locker room or something, but um, I mean, I'm used to it now, to be honest. I've seen them around at a lot of tournaments um obviously have a lot of respect for them and it's it's cool to be around them and like in that same environment because you know I'm in the same I'm in the same place and a couple years ago I was looking up to these people so for me it's it's really cool but um I just kind of do my own thing now again very mature (laughs) you're like Serena no okay and and then what 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 went into your process? So I know you're only you're only a teenager, 18. What went into your process of pursuing the pro dream? Is it something you had set up in your plan from when you were 12? Or is it something that happened in the past two years, a year? I think ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. Um, but, you know, it's not something that, you know, it's not easy. You know, I could have gone to college and you know, gone on a full ride to pretty much any school in the country that I wanted to. And, you know, that would have been really nice financially for, you know, my family. But I had Octagon, which is the agency I signed with last year after Miami Open. They've been looking at me for maybe four years now. So, but I didn't make the decision to turn pro until last year because it's just not an easy decision. And, you know, some people might you know, just sign the paper quickly and you don't know what you're actually getting yourself into. Um, but for me, I think I needed to grow more um, emotionally and mentally. Um, you know, I think my game was there and I knew that I was capable of playing at that level, but I needed to, you know, get my confidence up, believe in myself and, um, Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. We're joined by Katie McNally and her coach Kevin O'Neill in this episode. She talks all things TikTok, Coco Golf, and her plans to reach the top 100 this year. Keep listening. And we, we, we've mentioned Serena and uh, already in the show, but I want to ask you quickly, what was it like taking a set off her? Was that one of those moments where you were like, I'm justified in what I've made these decisions and I belong here because the set off Serena Williams at the US Open is huge. Yeah, I think it, looking back now, I've definitely made the right decision. And that experience last year was definitely life-changing, win or lose, you know. If I won, my life would have been a lot different. Um, but even taking a set off of her just shows that I'm capable of playing with those top players. You know, she has so many accomplishments and she's a champion. But I think my game my game is right there, um, just about believing in yourself. And I went out on Arthur Ashe, which – was a court I've never played on. I played night match. You know, she's played a million night matches. And I think I handled myself really well. And I think more experience um, will help me out. And I want to play her again. Kevin, has anything surprised you about the past year, two years of, of Katie's rise? I wouldn't say not really. Um, I thought she was capable of these things. I mean, there's a lot of players I've, I've coached where I thought they were capable. It's just a matter of them getting out there in those situations and, and being confident enough in themselves to be able to be out there and just so they can relax to relax to perform. I think it's it's been a gradual process for her. When I first helped her, it was at Wimbledon Juniors, and she played with a partner that and she's coming off a sprained ankle, so she hadn't really played much leading from the French Juniors to the uh, Wimbledon Juniors, and she just picked up a partner and they got to the finals. And then watching some of the things that I saw there and in those situations, I thought I knew then that she could, she'll be a, a, a top player eventually on, on the women's pro tour. And I thought probably college is not going to be the best route for her. And I knew then, but I mean, we waited, she waited to make the decision. And it was actually smart because if, you know, if you sign too early, you might not have the, the so-called contracts and things in, in, in that situation. So she, she did all, all those things right. Her game kept progressing. She kept trying to play the right way. Her the philosophy is just keep playing each point, going for your shots, play your game is really important. She's really started to believe in that over the last few years, and it's gotten better and better and better. And now you hear even in some of the things she says is she doesn't worry about her ranking. Cause I, I, that's my philosophy too. I don't, I don't care about your ranking. You don't own a ranking. Your ranking fluctuates on the tour depending on your schedule and how you do. So... You concentrate on your game and you own your game because that's the only thing you take away. Every day, every night, you own your game. You don't own your ranking. And if you go about your business and you have all the shots and you, you can do those things and you allow yourself to perform, hopefully over time, you're going to be pretty good. And all we're looking to do is be, be pretty consistent year in and year out, and then you'll be a top 100, top 50 player, maybe top 20 or top 10, but... It's not so much, oh, that's, yeah, obviously that's the goal. And I think she's capable of winning some grand slams in her career. But it's just the owning her game. That's our goal. So you guys don't set goals and sit down and be like, I want to be top 100 this year and top 50. It's not like that. I mean, we, we talk about it. I know that's not something I sit there and go, okay, that's a goal. If we make that goal, technically she was 98 on the live rankings. So, wow, we made that goal, but the rankings don't fall that way. In this tournament last year was a week earlier. Mm -hmm. And those points came off, and but she did well at the uh, Australian, so it's kind of evened out, and her ranking's basically about the same. So, 
uh, you can do those things, but what if you don't make that goal? I mean, there are a lot, especially on the girls' side, a lot of girls get if they don't make that goal, they don't. They think they're terrible. You know, it's just, it was a wasted year. Well, no, you might only move up three spots, or you might even stay the same. But getting used to having to defend points. I mean, you'll hear girls talk about that all the time, and that's the worst thing you can do in my mind because now you're worrying about something you can't control. That you can control your game and how you play, maybe. But you can't control that other stuff. So you don't. I, I tell Katie, don't. We don't even. I don't want you even worrying about that. Doesn't matter. Makes sense. It's working. Yeah. What's been your Katie? What's been your highlight of your pro career, fledgling pro career? There's been a lot of good, a lot of really good memories. I think obviously the match with Serena was probably one of the biggest that stands out. Just playing on Arthur Ashe night match against Serena. It's something I probably never thought would really happen. Um, just. She's still playing, which is amazing. So that, and then playing DC was amazing, getting to the semis of DC and singles, and then winning the doubles event. I mean, the crowd support there was unbelievable for Coco and I. Every single match we went out, I mean, it was it was packed house. People were squeezing in. Like, it was crazy, but it was so cool. And it the feeling you get when you go out there and all those people are supporting you, it's something that you like, cannot replicate. So it was really cool. Yeah, one of the things I noticed, especially from DC, but you could – there was a guy singles match going on in the other stadium court, and the girls had more. And this was a first-round doubles match, and they had more people in the first-round doubles match. But one thing I do notice with them, it makes them have fun. I mean, they enjoy, people enjoy watching them. They all enjoy watching them because they're having fun playing. And I think whether it's singles or doubles, if you can have fun playing, chance of performing better go up. And so that's the thing I, I want I would love for Katie and Coco as, as a team, but even taking it to singles, and Katie does a good job. You have fun playing. You have fun competing. And that's we, we're fortunate we get to play a game for a living. But play the game for a living. Play the game. That's really important to remember. It's fun, especially seeing how you guys did draw in the crowds, having eyes on doubles and even eyes on you on singles. It's great, and it gives you somewhere, an arena to perform in so early in your career instead of maybe being at tournaments where there's, like, five people and, like, your mom and dad. <laughs> so it's, it's awesome, and uh, I want to wish you best of luck, and thank you guys both for your time, Katie thank McNally you. and Kevin O'Neill. It's been awesome, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Dana. Thank you. Okay, everyone, we just heard from Katie McNally. She ended up actually losing in the quarterfinals to... Annalena Kalanina. Yes, she lost to Annalena Kalanina. And that's all very appropriate. We'll get to that in a second. But first, Irina Falcone is back with us. And I want to hear your take on Katie. You guys have played doubles together. What are your thoughts on her as she makes a name for herself? It's so funny. I remember getting a text from her coach, Kevin. And he's like, hey, do you want to play doubles in Houston? And I at first thought, did he send this to the wrong number? Because I haven't played doubles in a really long time. And I was like, uh, sure, I don't know that we'll get in. You know, I have no ranking in doubles. Uh, but, yeah, we had a great time. She's such a, a fun girl. And she's just she just likes to have fun on the court, which is my, the most important thing for me when I play doubles with someone. So, uh, yeah, I can see her doing great things. I mean, she's top 40 in doubles right now. So soon to be top 100 in singles, I'm sure. And so she's got a very bright future ahead of her. So we're recording this in Midland on the day of the finals, but the episode's going to run in about a week after that. So it's not really old news just yet, but Katie losing the quarterfinals was unexpected, but also not really because the girls that she played are really tough. And Lena Can Helena Kalanino is having an excellent week. And I think she showed 
Katie showed that she's mature and able to handle being a defending champion to even get that far. She could have lost earlier, honestly. There was a few moments there where I thought she was struggling, maybe a little bit physically here and there. Overall, handled it pretty well. And then her coach, Kevin O'Neill, is someone we know really well. So it was awesome to have them both on and kind of get a taste of what their life is like as she chases this journey. She's only 18 years old. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, you're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. This week, listen in to find out what happens when a finalist has to pull out before her final match. Keep listening. We mentioned Kalanina. So what happened here, we're, uh, we've got a little bit of a wild story. Irina reached the semifinals. So Irina, first of all, congratulations. Semifinals of a women's 100 ITF is huge. Thank you very much. And uh, you battled through some crazy three-set battles. She lost the first set of all three of her matches, which is, you know, impressive. Three wins and three come from behind three setters. Made things really interesting every single day. Uh, scored a win over Caroline Dullahide and Yanina Wickmeyer, who, by the way, used to be a former number 12. Do you know that? I did. Yeah, a lot of people made sure to tell me that before and after. So I was like, oh, all right. Thanks, guys. I'm very well aware. And a former 2009 U.S. Open semifinalist. No big deal. Playing in Midland and Irina beat her. I mean, semifinals is awesome. So what happened next? So after my semifinals match, I uh, I'd lost to Shelby Rogers, and um, and then later that night, I uh, I go home. You know, I'm trying to decide my schedule whether I go home or whether I go to a tournament the following week. And then I wake up with a few missed calls from the USTA supervisor, and uh, all of a sudden he's like, "You gotta call me back. It's urgent." All right, all right. So I call him back, and he's like, "So Kalanina's pulled out, and because she's pulled out." In the USCA rule book, it says that we have to try and find an exhibition to kind of fill the slot, fill the time for the fans and the people that come out and support the tournament. Thankfully, after much back and forth and after like seven failed attempts, he was able to find someone else other than me because highly doubt that people want to see Irina Falcone and Shelby Rogers play back-to-back nights. So thankfully, Yanina Wickmeyer was the one that was able to come through, change her schedule, and it's going to be playing exhibition instead of the women's final that was supposed to happen today. It's disappointing for the tournament because this is a very special tournament. The fans really do come out. We get hundreds of people cramming into the stadium. And some people have been coming every single day all week, and they've been watching these stories unfold and waiting for this final. And to instead be met with the news that it's canceled. Shelby Rogers walks away with a title. Um, Irina, semifinalist, could have been dropped in to play her again. It's just so weird to even imagine that. But then the tournament director has to put on a show. Something has to fill this slot. So it's it's been an interesting experience to see what happens when things do go terribly, terribly wrong. It's so unfortunate for Annalena Kalanino, someone who I think is going to have a big year. I think the way she was playing this week was really, really impressive. And she's so deathly serious. I've never seen anyone so serious in my entire life. She's 23, doesn't crack a smile, 
We did a 10-minute sit-down interview after she won her semifinal over Jamie Loeb, who was our last week's episode. Did an, she had an amazing week. Semifinals is huge for her. But Anne Helena did not crack a smile pretty much at all in our 10-minute chat, which I do not think is going to see the air because obviously she pulled out. Shame for, uh, for both of us. But in any case, a big week in Midland, and I think we just wanted to reflect on what happens when things go wrong. I also want to ask you, Irina, what happens when you finish a match? Because you played the semifinal night match. What's the process of you closing out a tournament? You know, a great week, but obviously still a loss. And what happens? There's a few steps, pretty much a checklist that I go through. So get off court change and go straight to the training room whether it's just to make sure that the body's feeling good or just to get a flush on the body from there you have to get your prize money make sure that you're square with the stringer pick up your string and then pretty much you start the whole okay I have to look for flights I have to figure out whether or not I'm going to the next tournament what is my schedule do I go on an early flight would I rather drive? Like, there's so many things that go through the, through your mind. And then uh, once you make all of those decisions, then you can be ready for the next day. But this was one of those days where I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. So to get that phone call the following day, it, it kind of deterred plans because I could have been here another day. I could have, I could have not been there another day. So... Yeah, you just kind of have to roll with the punches a little bit. Um, But this is definitely the first time this has happened. Well, this is the second time this has happened to me, actually. Nine years ago, I was in the singles and doubles final here in Midland. And uh, my partner at the time had the flu that day and had to withdraw from the, our doubles match. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting series of events, if you will. It's an unusual take this week. So... The most interesting part to me about what you're saying is that you have to book flights and figure things out pretty much the day of, while a lot of normal humans will book their flights out in advance, minimum two weeks, maybe months. So tennis players, I mean, right now, Irina is going to book a flight or a, a ride to her next tournament in Kentucky, maybe. Who knows? And it could be a flight home to Orlando. Like, she has no idea. And that is mind-blowing. This is how these things work. No wonder you guys need so much money, because, like, I'm imagining flights fluctuate like crazy the day of and we have some other news Irina is only a few months into her comeback she's going to be on the cusp of the top 300 which is I think it's been fast do you think it's been fast it feels fast it does feel fast obviously I want it to be faster um yeah it's a it's almost like a race though because I have a certain number of tournaments that I can use my special ranking for so you have to be exceptionally smart and trusting with your schedule because you know, you can feel like, okay, let's use my special for these two tournaments. And then all of a sudden, like you're down a few special uh, ranking tournaments. And, you know, what if you don't get enough points and then your ranking doesn't really move up much. But uh, yeah, I'm proud with my progress, you know, to come back here after nine years and make semifinals. Like it was, it was really fun for me this week. And uh, yeah, onward and upward. And, you know, we're only going to get better from here. And technically another week and Irina Falcone has lost to the eventual champion. So maybe uh, things, you know, you she's smiling at that. It's not a negative thing. It really isn't. So it's just one more, one more week and uh, many more tournaments to go this year. So this episode has been with special guest Katie McNally joined by her coach Kevin O'Neill. So thanks to them as well as an update from Irina Falcone as she continues the grind on tour. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening, you guys.
the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. This has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.